welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. We are back live. Tim, I feel like we haven't recorded a podcast in a month. It's been two weeks as it turns out. But that one was the only one for then a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're a little behind and a little stressed because we, you know, for those who have ever, well, no one should know what we're doing, but sometimes we've had a bank of four of these ready to go. So we've always got a, uh, you know, a backlog, but for this one, we're going to record it. It's going to be released pretty much, you know, right away. So, you know, like the, the first summer where we're sort of freed up after, you know, 2020 was definitely not feeling free. Um, you know, I had a big East coast trip planned. Your daughter got married and then one went off to school and, you know, I'm in Houston when you're not, I mean, things were, were just crazy, but we're back and, uh, really excited to have Brad Bradford Remley, uh, from our truck, uh, out in West Texas. We had a really good conversation, um, probably about a month ago, maybe a little yep. bit more. I was at a golf course getting my clubs regrip. Shout out Funk Futures Golf Scramble coming up October 1st. Colorado there you go. National. Go Buffs this weekend. No, no. <laughs> I wish you were coming up, but anyways, you're not. But but I wanted to, um, was introduced to, uh, to you via Jake Corley um, and really enjoyed the conversation. I think there was a lot that you could offer, a lot of passion behind the business and the story to kind of how you got the business to where it is um, mm-hmm. with our truck. So um, you know, I'd like to learn a little bit more about your background. Um, Texas kid, I think I heard you guys talking about before the show, but, but want to, um, kind of get your full background and what got you to, to where you're at in life and career. Sure, man. Hey, thanks for having, having me and, and certainly enjoyed the time, uh, they're visiting that Friday afternoon. Unfortunately, while you were on the golf course, I was sitting here in this office. Uh, but, uh, but no, nah, Hey, glad, glad we could be together today. So tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, It's kind of an odd story. I am not a Texas native. I'm actually a Colorado native, uh, but that's only by way of the U.S. Army. So, uh, yeah, I grew up as an Army brat. Uh, Dad, mom, we moved all over the world, all over the United States. In uh, about 1994, no, a little bit before that, I guess, seventh grade-ish. What would that be? 1991, 92, whatever. uh, Dad got stationed at Fort Hood. Uh, Texas. So, uh, so since then, I've been around Texas, uh, and then uh, found my way out here in uh, in Midland, which has been by far the best social and professional move. Contrary to what everybody says when they say, "Oh, don't go to Midland," man, it couldn't get any better. Um, so, uh, really blessed. But to kind of give you a okay. little bit of background, what were you saying? Okay, I mean, I want to dig into that a little bit. You know? we're, we're definitely going to hit that. We're going to hit that for sure. You yeah. want to wait on that? Well, I want to hear the rest, of the professional part. Cause uh, let's, let's do that. Yeah. So I'm going to totally bore you. So, uh, listen, I was always the, the, the nerd, uh, in, in the, uh, doing the morning announcements in high school, right. On television. That's what I, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, wow. was, was never scared of getting in front of the entire student body. High school was about, I don't know, Let's just put it this way. Graduating class was about 360 kids. So a, a fairly decent 5A high school back then. But I never. Which high school? Which high school? Uh, Copper's Cove High School. The Bulldogs. Okay. Shout out. Um, so uh, just north of Austin there, uh, west of Colleen, Texas, which is where Fort Hood is. So uh, so anyways, 
always loved doing that, uh, getting in front of people, the, the, just the behind the scenes part of, of radio and television and uh, decided that's what I was going to do for my profession. So uh, Dan Rather at the time was my uh, idol. You know, I wanted to be like Dan Rather. And so I ended up going to Sam Houston State, which is where he graduated from. And uh, and the rest is history. So did that for about three and a half years and then met my wife and had this epiphany that, you know, they never talked about how much, uh, you know, beat reporters get paid and the hours they work. And I was like, man. (laughs) So I get a buddy that gets a job doing it, right? And and he comes back to the apartment. He says, I got a job. I got a job. And we're like, okay, how much are you getting paid? <laughs> and he said, uh, well, he told me, he said, he said, free haircuts, gym membership, car allowance, and a three-year contract. And we're like, all right, keep talking, keep talking. <laughs> and then he drops the bomb. He goes, 27000 a year. And you're like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, but so, today that would be worth at least like 38. So. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you, you do it because you love it, right? And yeah. uh, and and there was no there was no doubt that I absolutely loved it. Um, but you also have to be a realistic about is that the challenge that you really want for your life? And so is that is that really what I wanted in my life? And and so I thought really hard about it, and I said, you know, love being on air, love talking. Um, I said, you know, let me do something completely 180 degrees. And so I've lived in a very traditional household where mom and dad still sit around the dinner table every single night, completely different than my house. Um, but, uh, but I remember having to have that conversation. I said to my pops, I was like, Hey, uh, I think I I might've made a mistake. And he's like, okay, yeah, well, well, talk to me, you know? And, and my dad's an intimidating guy, right? He was a pilot for 24 years, served all over the world. Well, there you go. There God you go. knows what, Tim, right? Tim likes that. Guy. And I, uh, I said, uh, you know, I don't know if uh, the last three and a half years are exactly what I want. He says, well, listen, I budgeted for five. What you do with the last year and a half is up to you. But, uh, <laughs> nice. but when it's over, it's over. And, uh, and so honestly, man, I had a friend that was always complaining about how hard accounting was. Funny, right? And I said, accounting's hard? I said, I wouldn't know because I've been in radio television the last three and a half years. <laughs> so so I, I jumped into business school and I took a couple of uh, accounting courses. And lo and behold, it was basic math. You just have to know how to balance your checkbook. Uh, that's why I could never be an engineer or some of these you know disciplines that require extensive math. I could balance the checkbook, though, and ended up pretty being pretty good at it. And so from there, uh, left school, got an internship with one of the big four at the time. Uh, you may remember that was the right around the fall of Enron. And uh, so right around, you know, 1999, year 2000, they put in place Sarbanes-Oxley. And so, yeah. uh, like I said, I'm boring the heck out of you with the professional side. But listen, they, they were hiring anybody, including me, which was good. <laughs> Wow. So, <laughs> That's funny. So anyways, uh, I, I got on with a big four firm and uh, man, you know, decided like most young kids at 25, listen, this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to live in Houston the rest of my life. So I might as well get in the energy business and yeah. uh, ended up joining uh, one of the predecessor companies of what's today is Artrock 15 years ago as an internal auditor. And uh, mm. I have been really blessed to have a ton of great mentors that have been willing to take a risk on me 
and put me in positions that the resume doesn't necessarily suggest you might be decent at. Uh, but they took a shot on me. And, uh, you know, I've always been one that says, uh, you know, we'll worry about success later. Right now, I just need to add value. So I was always willing to take the risk of, of adding value, which means doing something new and different, which you could be a colossal mm -hmm. failure at, and uh, was able to work my way to the position that I'm in now, which is, uh, you know, I run the operation for our company out here in the Permian Basin, which is the, the largest part of our business from a compression perspective, about um, 1.15 million horsepower, about, you know, 1,100 units, uh, 200 or so people. So really blessed and got a great team and a great business. Tim, Tim you know, you know, I got to ask, right? Oh, yeah. What? So there's people that listen to this show that aren't in the oil patch at all. Friends, maybe family. What, start with the basics. What is gas compression? Super simple. And this is, this is my elevator pitch. I move money. It's as simple as that. So when you drill a well, oil and gas are living in that well together. Hopefully out here in the Permian, it's more liquids than gas, oh, yeah. right? Um, yep. but, uh, but nevertheless, gas, creeping up. gas is creeping up right now though. Hey, oh yeah. Listen, if we can ever get back to 2008 and $14 an M, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, that, right. That will Although, be the day, I don't know. Honestly. Chuck Yates, Chuck Yates was saying some of that, Tim, if you watched his, um, I, some of the short clips from Nape, he was saying he's predicting $125 oil in, in the next few years. Nothing's going to stop it. I get there, but I, I can, I can squint my eyes and see how people come up with that. I just think. There's so much drilling capabilities that once it creeps up anywhere, it's going to be the wild west again. Um, People just go, I, the money will follow. Yeah, the I mean, we've got enough up and, and crush. We have rain. enough. Yeah. We have enough gas locked in the ground in places, and we know where it is. Yeah. We just have have to have an incentive to go get it. I just I can't see us getting to 14 for M, but I could see eight. I and I could see if mm -hmm. we could sustain eight, I'd be pretty happy. Anyway, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but no. yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's valuable. So this is one thing before we jump into full gas compression and maybe you could just break this down for me as, mm -hmm. uh, what would I say? An intermediate level upstream oil and gas expert, right? Um, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm curious, you have companies that operate say in the Marcellus and, and they're trying to produce natural gas. Whereas in a place like the Permian in West Texas, you're trying to produce oil, but you also have the gas. Now, why do some companies have a, a preference for, hey, we're going to be here, we're going to focus on gas, and effectively in West Texas, you're like, we want oil, gas is whatever. Maybe it needs to be worth more for us not to flare it. Um, what, what is the byproduct of that? Is it takeaway capacity? Is it uh, you know lifting cost? Like, Give me a basic understanding, because I've always been curious that natural gas is valued so highly here and not nearly as much there. Sure. Um, so there's there's a couple of things that go into that. The first uh, and, and most obvious is that's the plot of land that they purchased, the, 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 the leases they got whenever they got them. So that's the land that they've got. They've got to do something with it. Right. And so you kind of sure. back your way into the problem a little bit. OK, if I'm in a dry gas play, dry gas is actually pretty good because I don't have to spend a ton of money scrubbing it send it to plants. But then again, I also don't have the revenue stream that those NGLs produce, right? So then sure. I go, okay, if I don't have the revenue stream, but I have the acreage and I have a business, well, now I've got to become a low cost operator. 
right? And so then that's how they back into it to, to generate a margin. So that's all that yeah, makes the difference. Ultimately, you know, the, the, the problem with gas is it's hard to move. If you don't have a pipeline to stick it in, you can't just out in the field, yeah, stick it in a truck and drive it somewhere like you can oil or some other commodity. So you you have to be able to move it. And so until you've got a pipeline nearby to stick it in, it's awfully hard to justify, you know, or, you know, justify what to do with it. And so I think that's really just the ultimate answer, Jeremy, is there's no place to put it, but we mm. want the oil. It's valuable enough that we'll put up with doing something with the gas. Unless we've got a, we get convince somebody to put enough pipeline in and we get connected to it and we get some compression to shove that gas into that pipeline. Yeah. So yeah. a couple of things about the Marcellus, which I think you're hitting on the infrastructures there. And the other thing is you have a captive yeah. audience, a huge portion of North America's population is in the Northeast, right? For which sure. is fed by the Marcellus. So you have, you have demand, you have the infrastructure, you're, it's clean, dry gas, you're able to produce it. So then let's look at the Haynesville. The beauty of the Haynesville is you don't have to have meat. The gas comes out of the ground at well above 2000 PSI, which is unbelievable. So the pressure just through the roof, right? So you yeah. don't have the, the, the most costly part of LOE is my gas compressor. So when you're able to remove that from the equation, Oh my gosh, all of a sudden you, there's, there's more incremental mm. operating cash there that nice. makes sense and you can, and you can generate a better margin. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I just envision if you have the right plot of land and the right takeaway capacity, you could have an oil well, right? You have natural gas as well coming off. You have Bitcoin mining. Conceivably, <laughs> you have solar panels. No, I'm not kidding. Like what, what's yeah. stopping a, an operator from doing all that and maximizing every possible stream of, of energy revenue they can capture with that asset? Or is it just more cost conscious to try to get what you can out of the ground in your one means? Like, I, I don't know. General questions. Like I have thoughts of what the answers sure. are, but I, I'm, you know, you guys are experts at this. Well, well I think I'm, the, I'm going to go hit the Bitcoin thing because I think even Jake and, and, uh, um, Colin had someone on about it, you know, basically people who don't have the takeaway capacity are taking container trucks, sticking them out on a well mm -hmm. site, using the gas to generate electricity and just run servers to mine Bitcoin. And, it's cool. you know, and it's just because, Hey, we have the gas, let's generate some electricity and use it and power our servers. Um, and that's, that's really cool, but they're not selling the gas. They're just using it. Mm -hmm. If they had a pipeline to stick that gas in and the right compression, and the right dollars for getting the gas out, they'd probably prefer just to send it in a pipeline on down the road. Interesting. Interesting. Very Unless you're just super bullish on Bitcoin or something. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to take you down another path. So compression, let's, let's talk a little bit about your business here. So uh, you, you are selling or leasing compressors. Uh -huh. Are you guys monitoring the compressors? Is that part of your services? Or are you really just trying to get the horsepower in the field? So uh, we, we are strictly a rental company. Okay. Um, and then uh, we set and service the compressor. Um, the customer does the full hookup on the inlet and the discharge side. And that's kind of getting back to what we do when I said we move money. We're the link between the sales line and the wellhead. It's a really tight spot. I, I'm like an ATM. 
you know? Yeah. And if that, the ATM is supposed to spit dollar bills 99.9% of the time. And so when yeah. all of a sudden it's not, man, you talk about a high pressure situation. Literally. Is that, are you selling <laughs> or leasing them? So it's all, it's all rentals, right? Uh, yeah, it's all rentals. Um, our, back in the day when we used to be Xterran, we decided to, to split off completely um, because the business got so complicated with the fabrication side of the business where I would also sell the units to end users. And then you had a rental business and then all these other associated oil field businesses. It, it got really confusing. And frankly, our shareholders didn't value all that we brought to the table. So they're like, okay, your rental, your fab, but I'm still pricing you all the same. Um, and so you could spin off and, and get more clarity on, on the rental compression side and still retain that, that, uh, that value uh, from a shareholder perspective. And so it really cleaned things up, made it a lot easier for us, both from a, you know, from a Wall Street perspective, but it really focused our company on serving our customers because we had nothing else to, to, to pull away our attention, right? You had no competing priorities. And so what you see today is the majority of, uh, of you know, the large gas compression providers only do one thing, provide rental compression. Everybody's kind of gone away from the model of, I'm the one-stop shop for all your gas compression needs. So one other part of the compression from a technical side, um, and just to, so Jeremy can ask one more question. So <laughs> the, is there a difference when you're place releasing a, a compressor, is it a different compressor for putting it in a sales line versus maybe a gas lift kind of compressor? Is it a di is no difference? Great question. Great question. Yeah. Um, Just about to ask that. Yeah. What, so what are the conditions that you have, right? Do you have really low wellhead pressure? Let's say 50 pounds. Let's take the Permian, for example. A traditional Permian application is what we call a three-stage application. And so that basically goes through three stages of compression. You follow me? So let's yep. say the first stage takes it from 50 pounds to 200. The next stage takes it from 200 to 800. The final stage takes it from 800 to 1300. 13, it's, to get into a pipeline out here in West Texas, you need between 1100 and 1200 pounds to overtake the line pressure. Um, okay. And so over up in the Northeast, it's all two-stage equipment, right? Their, their lines run at you know 200 pounds of suction pressure to 800 pounds of discharge pressure. So we package all different types of uh, stage compression um, to, to, to service our customers' needs. But predominantly out here in the Permian, it's three-stage compressors all the way. So let's so think again, 30 to 50, 1,100 to 1,300 discharge. So for a, for a, a compressor that's going to go onto a gas lift, so to basically to enhance production, mm -hmm. is that going to be... Just more of a simple single stage compressor? I, I, as a matter of fact, no, because they need most gas lift wells are sort of set at about 1,100, 1,000 to 1,100 pounds to open up. And so you need that discharge pressure. Anywhere? Going. Is that like by basin or is that just sort of like the, the number that, that it is from a scientific perspective. Yeah, I am not a downhole guy, but that is the number that I see most oh, regularly. See, now he's an accountant. Now he's an accountant, Tim. See, that's well done. <laughs> I, was, I knew it was going to happen. Well, it's going to come back to the engine. The engine. So I'm trying to play uh, straight man to you a little bit because, sure. you know, I'm, I, am, I am an engineer and have studied gas lift, and I'm trying uh -huh. not to jump in and answer a bunch of questions. But sure. Yes, I mean, it really just depends on, on the well, on the pressure you've got to overtake downhole. And for those who are, uh, layman when it comes to things like gas lift, what is it? 
you're you're effectively injecting gas at a certain depth in the well bore to lighten the liquids. Yep. So they so the gas and the liquids can now flow to the surface. So yeah. rather than using a a sucker rod pump to lift the lift the uh, liquids out of the ground, you're letting the gas go in and expand and push everything up, bubble up, and so. And- yeah. I think of it, and then know, you're just recapturing think, the gas, recycling it back down in the well, so it just keeps going around in a cycle. I, I was I was here when Luke Wallace was on the podcast, Tim. I'm not sure if you were also here that day, but I, I was did. there that day. Yeah, no that that was a good good description. I really do very much appreciate appreciate mm-hmm. that. But no, I mean there, there's a lot of science that goes into it, right? So who do you sell to? Like you you do business with upstream oil and gas companies, right? Companies that drill and produce oil, um, as well as the purchasers of product on the other side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. EMPs and midstreamers are our target target audience. And, uh, and and so right now we're seeing an absolute boom from a midstream perspective because Hmm. of the, it's not because there's tremendous growth in demand. It's because regulations from a flaring perspective are absolutely limiting the EMPs ability to flare that extra gas. So in the old days, what would happen is you would, you would gas lift in that loop that, that you were talking about. And then any excess gas that you didn't need in the loop, oftentimes you'd flare it. Now we've got to produce it. Um, And so that need to produce is driving tremendous demand from a midstream perspective uh, to carry it out of here. And I think that's a good thing from an ESG perspective. I know we've been, we've talked about it a bunch and we know that that's coming. And so the pressure to reduce that uh, either voluntarily or regulatory, it's, it's there. Uh, And and quite frankly, it needs to be done. I don't think companies necessarily want, want to flare, right? Like it's, it's a, it's a sort of like a unfortunate byproduct of if that is not the product that you're producing, you got nothing else to do with it if there's nowhere to take it, right? I mean, so you burn these, it into the, the air. It's, it's these, are, these are smart guys. If they can sell it, they're exactly. going to sell it. I mean, that's just and that too. And it's their business guys. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's always been like, well, it, it's unfortunate, but it's nice to see that there's, you know, like you said, more of a demand for some of that takeaway. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, it's not going to last forever, right? We can't just burn away all of the, the natural gas, right? It, it, it is a finite resource. I don't know when that finite is, but it is finite. Sure. Right, Tim? Yeah, it's, well, I mean, it's finite, but as the price goes up, we'll find more. I mean, there's never a... So, so, mean, it is, so it is truly infinite. Like if you were to say how many billions of barrels of, of oil, trillions, are, are available in the world right now? And how long will that last, even with the additional potential upticks? Like 100 oh, years? Man. You're asking me, okay, there is... All right, when you produce, I mean, all right, now we're going to get technical. You asked me a long question. Now <laughs> Sorry. I got to jump on a, I got to jump in. But so when you produce an oil reservoir, let's take a West Texas reservoir, you start producing it, you, you expect to get 20, 25% of the oil that's in the ground out. And okay. then you might, you know, inject water and do a water flood. You might inject CO2, do a little CO2 flood, you know, and the most you can really expect to get, you know, 45% of the oil that's in the ground. Okay. Okay, so there's 55% in there and it's either locked in like it's attached to the rock itself so it's not coming off or hmm. there's all kinds of things. But if the price of oil were $300 a barrel, <laughs> we would figure out how to get that 55%. Got it. I mean, Got so it. I mean, there is a ton of oil left in the ground after we've produced. 
that we can go after. And likewise, gas gets stuck in there. You start producing it at some point. There's only so much compression you can put on the well to suck the gas out. So you're going to leave something behind. But if gas were $14 per MCF, we're going to figure some things out. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, you know, it's so the, as I mean, you remember Chuck was on our show. He said the, the cure for high oil prices is high oil prices. prices, The cure for low oil prices, low oil prices. Similarly, you get the price high enough. We're going to go figure out a way to get more of it. And, and, you know, and it might be that we start, you know, go back to if we still need oil in 50 years, we might be going and it's whatever price, you know, the Exxon's algae experiment might pop up and we might just start producing crude oil from algae again. Now, who knows? I got, I got one more technical question for, for Bradford. And then I want to talk about Midland being a fun social place for a, a <laughs> relatively young guy with a family and, and yep. all that stuff. Right. So when did gas compression like start? You know what I mean? Like I know oil, you know, the first well was drilled in 1860 in Pennsylvania, right? but when, when did gas compression start? So I can't tell you the exact day, but I can tell you that my company's been in business doing gas compression for the last 69 years. All right. So at least nice. goes back that far. And then if we, if we did some research on when the, when, uh, Oh, aerial is sort of the, the, the package that, that is most, requested these days is a caterpillar engine married to an aerial frame we could figure okay. out the date because that guy invented the aerial frame in uh in mount vernon ohio there, there's definitely a date on when that thing came off the uh, the first production line but remember it started out really really small and that goes back to your question tim okay. about the stages of compression right you require more and more horsepower to move more flow and so what we're seeing yeah. So back in the day when gas lift first kind of hit the uh, hit the hit the market, you know, you were basically moving, I don't know, about 750,000 through a 200 horsepower machine. The most notably is called a, a, a Caterpillar 3306 TA fits in the bed of your truck. Small. Right. Um, then that was a single well machine. Then it moved to a three to five well machine, which demanded 380 horsepower. Because we could start doing punches and bunches and get that overall LOE down by going with a bigger machine, right? And then it got to, it just kept, it just kept graduating. And the beauty of the, the compressor business is everything is, is just a scaled up version of that very first small one. And now, I mean, they are monstrous. You could say that about oil and gas drilling in general, right? In general, I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. The, the way that it started and then the the fundamental breakthroughs, like now you've got me thinking what's next, obviously like, uh, you know, fracking was a big deal to be able to unlock additional reserves. What's mm-hmm. next to get that 45% that Tim says is still on the ground when you even leave it. Right. Um, yeah. So I think it'll be, it'll be interesting. And it's all about surfactants, Jeremy. What? <laughs> surfactants. So, yeah, I think you just said it, Tim, yeah. though, but, you know, demand drives technology, right? If a problem exists and demand is high enough to solve that problem, somebody's going to go out there and unlock that value, solve that problem. And that's ultimately what's been done over, shoot, out here in the Delaware Basin and the Midland Basin, just in the last 10 years, the explosion that we've seen in business, all that's driven by demand, price, and to your point, people finding a reserve that they didn't know exactly it was that big and that healthy. Yeah. And it just, it just keeps coming. Absolutely. 
All right. So let's talk Midland. How, how long you been out there, Brad? So I've been out here full time for, for the last four years. Um, but kind of a funny story, the two years prior to that, um, I lived in, in a, in a hotel next to Sam's club, two on, two off splitting time. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you guys. Uh, when, so I was living in West Fort Worth, which is a lovely, lovely part of Fort Worth, beautiful town. Oh, awesome part of Texas. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, I'd always seen the writing on the wall, right? I saw that the Barnett Shale was dying. Dry gas was going away. There really wasn't any demand for it. And, and oil was where it was at. So you always knew yeah. on the outskirts, you're looking at that. You're going, okay, that's the Super Bowl. That's the future. And that's what I always kind of refer to the Permian as. It, it is the Super Bowl. There's no bigger stage uh, than, than what we do. Out <laughs> And so uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're a Cowboys fan. I know. So those who are those who are not watching, Jeremy is wearing a Patriots hat, and if someone mentions a Super Bowl, he can't help showing his Patriots hat and six fingers for the six. But Super I Bowl. also showed respect for the Cowboys. There we go. I love it. America's <laughs> team, the Patriots. <laughs> but anyways, uh, they do have a football football game tonight. So. I mean, I, I can see that when you're going out and, and visiting West Texas, right? It's mm-hmm. a, it's got to be a lot different than living there. It does seem like the people that live there really truly love it and embrace it. So you're you got three kids, right? I got I got two kids, two boys, fifteen and twelve. Two boys. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Okay, so you know, very competitive sports wise. We know Joe Norman came out here, Midland League state champion back what twenty years ago or something like yep. that, national champion. Yeah, we, that's what he's claiming. Claiming national tip. I don't. I think there's anything more than state champion. They didn't play. Uh, they, look, they didn't play a game. They didn't play a game. It to, was just to, a. Well, I, I actually looked up after he came on. Like they dominated everyone. That oh, season, no doubt. Right? They won every game by forty plus points or something. So I guess if it's like, well, if you're in five A and you beat everybody by 40 points, Texas, you are then officially the best team because no one in California did the same thing in uh, the best division there or Florida, right? Yeah, so there, it's was, like, there was no IMG Academy back then either. Like how so. they used to give the national championship in college football, which made no sense. Yeah, exactly. Let's just watch two yeah. different random games champs. and see what happens. What? Yeah, so, so Midland. <laughs> Midland's a great place to raise kids. I mean, I mean, there's not – I mean, well, you've, there's plenty to go do. The sports are crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, even as a well, summer, I, I went out for one of my summer internships. I went out to Midland to work for FINA at the time out there. You know, great summer internship. And I was really excited by, you know, we were busy. We had so much to go do and have fun. And yeah. I don't know if it's still there, but uh, is Summer Mummers still a big deal out Absolutely. in Absolutely. Went to it this season. It was great. Thankfully, yeah, COVID tell you, broke I'm long like, enough that we could go do it. Yeah. I'm going to tell you that that was one of the the coolest things. And when someone finally talked me into, I thought, Oh, this is it. I'm not going to, that sounds really hokey, but they wound up, I wound up volunteering every daggum night that was open to, to work it because it was so much Uh fun. This thing, what's it? Summer mummers. It's a, well, all right. Maybe you, since you're good at elevator pitches, Brad, what is the elevator pitch on summer mummers? <laughs> so what I will tell you is if you've ever done the Rocky Horror Picture Show in a theater, 
where but except it's a live okay. performance so the people are performing a a skit which is the beauty of it is it's all about midland related stuff so they're making fun of local politicians local That's businesses cool. the local minor league sports teams you know Permian football like code yeah exactly that's what they're doing and so the whole like roast, time you know, roast style yeah so they sell you these big giant beers okay and then they sell you these huge bags of popcorn and you buy popcorn. them by the tray. And I the whole it. time you just chunk popcorn and it's I, it's sad to say you yell obscenities and it's just a great it's a great time. Yeah, so so the summer I was there, I volunteered to be like basically a pit boss and I got my I got half rice beer and free popcorn, right? <laughs> And during the intermissions and this thing at the end where they're all dancing and doing kind of old West things, I was supposed to, now I'm supposed to throw popcorn at the patrons and keep them from fighting, but throw right. popcorn. So they throw it back at me. They throw it at yeah. each other and they go buy popcorn. And uh -huh. it was, it's just, and the, this is in Midland, Texas. Now you expect it maybe in some crazy cool you know, suburb of Houston or something, but you just don't expect it to be in Midland, but it's there. And it's, yeah, I, I, I always thought it was the craziest thing. Here we are plugging summer mummers, but sure. Anyway, it, I found it amazing. But, but I, but I think you know, you're, I, I think you're touching on something, right? There's, there's a level of culture and there's a lot of cool things that go on down here that unless you live here, you don't necessarily get, cause it doesn't have that cosmopolitan feel in a theater exactly. district that some of the larger cities have. Um, but uh, but yeah, so plug in summer mummers. It's like it's put on in the Yucca Theater that was built back in the early 1900s. So it's just super cool. Um, and there's there's a yeah. lot to it. Yeah, I mean, I really like Texas, and uh, I I feel like I, I with with Permian or should I say the Permian area Midland. Like I probably need to to go out there again and and have some people show me around, right? Because if, sure. if my experience is mainly based on just having drinks in the DoubleTree, um, yeah, you know, yeah, hotel, you hotel bar sure. with colleagues, you know, and and business meetings during the day, I'm missing out, right? So I need to like get together with, with a bunch of the people that are there. So I, I'm going to count on you for that. Hey, come hey uh, Energy Tech Night, Energy Tech Night, Midland, Texas. You know that the, that might actually not be a terrible idea. Yeah. Yeah. And they just built a phenomenal convention center downtown uh, and opened nice. it up. So it is, it is top notch, uh, totally new age. I mean, it is a really nice place. I got to go to a, uh, I went to a make a wish foundation sort of swanky deal where you put on a, a tuxedo and the wife wears a dress and you go out and do something really nice. And you're sitting there, mm. they got that in Midland. Absolutely. They have that in Midland. And, and let me tell you, they built this big, uh, you know, uh, plaza with fountains and all of that. And they're able to wall it off to put on private concerts. And you're out there dancing in a beautiful climate. Most people don't understand that about Midland. It is super arid. Yep. It always cools down very, because very we're in the, in, in the desert. And uh, you can go out in late September. It's, I always just say, come on, it's Southern California. It's the exact same. You know? I would, Tim, I would argue that the weather is better in Midland than Houston. No doubt. I, I'm not going to counter that at all. I, I, <laughs> I would agree wholeheartedly. Um, and just if you, well, all you had to mention was humidity. Oh, God. and I'm, you have already agreed with your statement. Yep. So, you know, so, I mean, that, that's just crazy. Now but, I, but I do want to hit another thing. Sure. Go ahead. I, I, 
I'm going to pivot. We're talking. I know if you want to keep finish your point on Midland, because I'm pivoting you to another topic. So of course, and, and I can go down rabbit trails, which you guys can see. But the last thing that I'll say about Midland that makes it so awesome is the city's always riding high together and they're always riding low yeah. together because every one of us are in some part of the oil field stream. <laughs> yeah. So no matter what, you got somebody Literally, to drink with, everyone. no matter what. Yeah. I mean, everyone. The, the bartender at the Doubletree is, e is equally invested in the energy business as is Brad, you know, yep. that, that's just your, your dentist kid is a, uh, you know, production foreman. <laughs> like, yeah. Yep, so even absolutely. if your business is different, you know, your clientele is 87% oil field. Yep. It's, it's amazing. All right. So I'm an air force brat, you're an army brat. And so, you know, I know what that means moving around. Of course, as a matter of fact, your dad's a pilot, my dad's a pilot. So we can, we can cool. do those nice. things. If we want. But, but one of the things I find interesting about, and, and this is the first time we met, but listen to you talk, uh, when you're a military brat, you move around a lot. So you have two choices with every new station that you go to. I can be that guy that goes out and meets people and has a good time and really enjoys a joiner. Or I can be that guy that's just going to sit off in the corner and not do anything. And clearly you've chosen kind of the joiner mentality. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I mean, comment, I, I like to understand the moving around from place to place how has that impacted, I think, your personality and your ability to go do what you're doing now? Sure. It's a, it's a great question. So two things. Um, the beauty of moving around constantly, you get really comfortable with yourself because you do spend a lot of time by yourself. It takes, as we all know, we're grown men now and it was tough when we were kids. It takes time to get in a circle of trust with anybody, right? Yeah. To, to acclimate. So you get really comfortable and, and self-sufficient, which I think is a great quality to have. You just need yourself. I don't need anybody else to really give me that confidence or that, uh, you, you, like you get what I'm saying. Um, but the next thing is, cool. is you also have to, because I'm not that guy that is just going to sit in my room and stare at the wall. You get really comfortable at striking up uh, conversations and having lots of acquaintances, very few friends. And even today, right. I have very few real friends because you kept leaving them. And every time you uh, left them, man. that hurt. So that, that, so is, that is exactly the point I was going to go to. It's easy to meet people, be friendly, but to develop that long-term relationship. And you might be great friends for the two years you're there, but you know, all right, in six months, I'm leaving, he's leaving. Eh, okay, I'll just make another set over here. So it, it was very, I found it very interesting that I could jettison, it's going to sound really negative, but I, I, just, I could jettison and recognize that this is a temporary thing and, and, and detach and move yeah. on. And, you know, and then being in the military, sometimes you run across a guy who's now stationed at the same base that you yeah. are and you reconnect and it's like, that's you never cool. stopped. You pick right back up and that's the beauty of it. it. It is unbelievable. You pick up where you left off. And, and that has really served me well, uh, it, professionally and socially. Right. Cause you just kind of no get back into the swing of things. And, and, but, but to your, uh, you know, Jeremy, you were just kind of saying that's kind of sad. It is sad, but it's, it's, it's part of the, part of the, part of the job as a, as an army. It's just perspective or changing. Yeah. It's perspective changing. I mean, I could look back and say, you know, when I used to go to sleepaway summer camp, the last day of camp, everybody would cry. Right. And that was sad, but um, whatever it is, you know, it is what it is. 
uh, for me, like I, that my parents still live in the same house that I was born in, that I grew up in. Like, and Eliana, my wife, her mom is still in that. Her parents are divorced, but her mom is still in the house that she grew up in and went to high school in, right? So for us, we wouldn't entertain moving. You know what I mean? It's, it's like we put our roots down here in Lafayette, Colorado, and we may move houses at some point, but we're here, right? And, and the friends are here, and hopefully everybody stays here because I think that was the world that we grew up with. So it's really kind of eye-opening for me to hear that that it, it kind of, you learn, you view the world differently, right? You're more independent at a younger age. I'll tell you that my wife and I both, Karin and, my, and me, both were Air Force brats and moved around. Cool. So for us, the place means nothing. So it terrifies my kids because we huh. wound up just getting rooted and staying in one place. But when we told the kids that one time I had an opportunity to go work in Malaysia and I said, yeah, I might take it. The kids were horrified, yeah. terrified. And, and my wife and I just can't understand it. No, we'll just go to another we'll place. There. We'll just live there. Just for another years. place. But, you know, so it, it's interesting how that that changes. But but that's just, the, you know, to me, I don't see anything wrong with it because it's my perspective. So I can't comprehend your parents, Jeremy, staying in yeah. one place. I, I just simply can't figure that out. Yeah. I mean, I can't comprehend why they chose there, but I can <laughs> comprehend why they I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, well for me, uh, and, and Tim, you probably don't, the, the, it gave me a perspective, even as adult right now, that material things mean nothing because you always had to leave them behind. Life was always about the yeah. experience. Mm. And when you're in the service, you get so many different opportunities to generate experiences that if you live in the same place for 30 years, which again, my wife has lived in the exact same house her entire life as well. Nice. So when yeah. she married me and my oil field career I moved more in the first 10 years of my oil field career than my dad did in the service. And so I was like, oh my gosh, here I have a lovely officer's wife that is just, I'm oh, yeah. so blessed that she's moving with me and not drawing a line in the sand. And, oh, and, yeah. and honest, I love it. I love this. We're all better for it because she got to see yeah. so much more of the world. Than you typically what? do if your life is just attached to that one zip code every, the, your whole so, life. So what is so. what's the most exotic place station that you guys were at when you were growing up? Odessa, uh, Texas. So, <laughs> no, I got to live in Korea uh, during the '88 Olympics. Oh, um, that's oh, gonna be cool. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was super cool. Um, that was really Carl really cool. Lewis. Carl Lewis, like, was that when Ben Johnson cheated the steroids thing, and then they threw out the. Uh, remember that? Was that 88? Yeah. Was that 88 or 92? Flojo, Flojo. No, 92 is Atlanta. No, 96. Okay. 96, 96 is 92 is Barcelona. 96 okay. is Atlanta. Man, look at your 80? sports knowledge. That's so we're, 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 we're yeah, well, I mean, no, bro. We're into, you. we've wandered into his, his strong point. Let's, so when let's I, talk about politics real quick. Okay. Or let's talk about <laughs> vaccines. Okay. Let me tell you what I know about vaccines. Nothing. What, what, what I know, what I know about things in general is I know a lot about oil and gas technology, and I know a lot about random, stupid sporting events that happen. Besides that, I know nothing. <laughs> well, you're, you're my source for a lot of things, Jeremy. That you know, when we start talking about hazy IPAs, I do. Uh, yeah, you know, there you go. I want these guys to sponsor. So this is not a hazy IPA, but is a hop tea. So they're now like putting like immense amount of hops in black tea, green tea, oh, and they have like different God. types of hops. Like, so I drink these during the day. It's awesome. 
So is now, that my father bitter tea. It's no, yeah. no. I mean, it's just got like um, flowers. Tastes yeah, like flowers. So, some are more floral, right? Some are more bitter. Um, it also depends, I think, on the tea. I don't know. My buddy's been hyping them, but hop tea. If you're listening, uh, well, I've, hop. I found for much of this podcast. My brother and my father love IPAs, and they sit there talking around about IPUs and all you know all the time. IPUs, yeah, yeah. But I found a coffee. I forget where that's roasted with hops. Oh my so, god! So mm. it was. It's the bitter on bitter, and the two of them is they they Too loved much. it. And we can't we can't find it again, but I'm sure someone's going to figure that out and probably send us some. I mean, I'm imagining that this is fairly fairly hot stuff. I mean, I even remember thinking years ago, like, why doesn't what at LaCroix just do a hop flavored one. You got all kinds of people flocking to these breweries right and left for the hops. Like, so yet again, we put another business idea out here and we haven't protected it before we said it out loud, Jeremy. Come on. <laughs> I got a lot of, I got a lot of business ideas here. Here's another one that's completely off the cuff. So you know what cameo is? No. Yeah. Cameo is that the video so, service? Yeah. So like Tim, if oh, you okay. wanted to, if you wanted to pay um, Mike Evans, right. To, to, say happy birthday to your daughter who's a huge oh, yeah, Mike yeah. Evans fan, right? And you might pay Mike Evans $60 for a minute long clip or something. Mm-hmm. If you want to pay Tiger Woods, it might be $600, right? Or, or whatever it is. I like the idea, people can steal this, I don't care, I'm not going to execute on it. The idea of like a cameo, but almost in real time. So like if you are with a client that you want to impress, right? And you know that they're a big Oklahoma State fan and you can book like during the day, Barry Sanders at this time, I want him for a hundred dollars for five minutes. Just to come oh. on and talk to the dude. That's it. Wow. That's a good idea. That just that like cameo, point. but scheduling it and having it available. So if you're like a wealthy celebrity or whatever, you just say, Hey, uh, this is my price. I'm Snoop Dogg. This is what you pay. Like I'm available these hours on this day. Boom. And he just <laughs> boom, 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 boom. See now that's so you know, the, the old sales guy technique, the old sales guy comes into an office and looks around and sees the big fish and sees the, yeah. the Tom Brady poster behind Jeremy's head and, you know, all that. That would be, you go in once, you figure out, okay, I'm going to get Tom Brady to to chat with this yeah, guy yeah. for 30 seconds. You've, hey, yeah, there hey, you real go. Real quick before we leave the meeting. Tom. <laughs> yeah, Tom would be. Justin a, Bieber. Oh. Justin Bieber. Hey, say, say hello. <laughs> <my friend. laughs> Yeah, I think that's going to cost a little bit more. I, I think that's where we probably cut this episode. Um, yeah, anyways, this was this was a blast, uh, Brad. I do want to see you when I head out to West Texas. I, I appreciate you being gregarious and also accommodating for this. I feel like we we'd scheduled this months ago, and uh, uh, it's all good, it work, man. I, I had my own uh, deviation last week, so no worries. And why don't you tell us where people can find your company, your website, wherever, you know, they can. They can yeah, so just go to uh, www.artrock.com. Uh, everything you could ever want to know about our organization is on there. And um, man, just really appreciate you guys' time. Yeah.